Meanwhile, recorded live from the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to a supernatural radio noir. It's issue 49, The Adventures of Marcus Little, part two. It would be fun to say that I had some sort of long-standing interest in telling this particular story about Marcus Little, that I've had this one in me for so long that, like, it just begged to get out, that it was just bursting at the seams, that this story was just fully formed from my forehead, like some sort of Greek god or something. But in reality, we all know that's never the case. (laughs) Anything truly important to us actually becomes that way because we work on it. We, we craft it. We, we, we create it. We, uh, we find a way to express ourselves and some ideas that we're having in this medium. And it's, it's all new. It's all something else. Uh, it isn't some long-held desire from childhood. And it isn't divine inspiration. And it isn't something that just strikes you suddenly. It comes with work. (laughs) And that was certainly the case with Marcus Little. There was a lot of work that went into this. And uh, it actually came out of sort of getting a job where uh, this friend of mine who makes movies and films and whatnot, uh, his name is Matt, and he uh, runs the uh, Pecho Grande uh, film production studio. And uh, yeah, he he, uh, he had this vision for uh, this uh, series of films that he was making, um, and uh, the particular film that we were working on, uh, Phylum Sipinicula, I believe is the correct pronunciation. I, I hope I'm getting that right. Um, he had this vision for uh, the characters in it having ambient radio in the background, and that they were just listening to the radio as the movie unfolded, and. He wanted it to be real, so he asked me, hey, do you want to make the radio that goes in this film? Uh, and uh, that, that was really the beginning. As soon as he asked me, I, I sat down and I started writing The Adventures of Marcus Little. And it, and it kind of came out me really hammering away, working at it for several days in a row, trying to get it just right. Uh, It wasn't something that came, uh, you know, uh, quickly. uh, But, you know, I was able to get there eventually through actually just working on it. Uh, I kind of did like a typical work day. I would sit down, put in a couple hours, take a break for some food, put in a couple more hours, take a break for some food. And then uh, after a couple weeks, it was done. it's not one of those things that has like a, a funny or interesting anecdote about it either, which I think is uh, sometimes difficult. But uh, certainly uh, it meant a lot to me to get it done because it was the first time that I had actually finished a detective story that I felt worked, where uh, the ideas actually meshed in some way, where the story actually made sense. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh 
so yeah, I guess uh, we should probably get into part two here, uh, which means uh, that I need to kind <clears> of <throat> switch things over, as it were. Reporter Randy Stone looked at me and gave me that kind of glare that says, I know something you don't, and I'm holding it back, just in case I need an ace in the hole a little bit later. I knew the look very well. It was the kind of thing I gave to people I was trying to chase down for clues and leads when I was on a case. But why was Randy on a case? What made him think that I had information that he needed? Or that I could even tell him anything that would lead him somewhere to his next clue or whatever it is he was working on. Puzzling it out wasn't helping. So I took a deep breath and lit another cigarette. Don't give me that look, Mr. Stone. Just because you've come here to get some sort of something that you're looking for doesn't mean I'm just going to hand it over without giving you my side first. The story of Marcus's last case is a little more complicated than you might think. Mr. Stone raised an eyebrow. Last case, he said. I shrugged. Well, maybe. And now it's time for Act Two of The Adventures of Marcus Little, starring Nate Kelly as our hero in... Tall Tales and Small Rewards. I've certainly handled stranger cases than this, so I wasn't much more suspicious of my client than I would be of anyone I was just meeting for the first time. A quick stop at Lucky's Donut Shop for some enthusiasm and a snack seemed in order. And boy was I etc. Because Lucky himself had not only made the brew, but gave me far too much background on my destination to be anything but a portent of good things to come. I gave Cindy a ring back at the office, though she didn't answer. Then I hauled myself up to Sandy to find 2539 Lapine, the address Sarah had given me. Up Sandy I drove, but the houses began to thin out, and it seemed as if the snipe had vanished and I was about to realize what kind of hunt I was on. Suddenly, I passed some trees to see the hospital that occupied that address. The snipe was now plainly in view. Rather than attract undue attention, from what or who I wasn't quite sure, I decided to play the part of the PI and try to do a little sleuthing. Lucky had mentioned that Mariner State Hospital had been closed for years and that it was up this way. But I didn't piece together it might be the same place I was heading until just now. This used to be the local asylum, working closely with the state until it was shut down after too many complaints turned out to be horrifyingly true. I also realized suddenly that this wasn't the first time I'd been out here either. I'd worked for a client that unfortunately led to me getting tangled up with the McNair gang. While it's a long story, I wound up at their hideout after getting knocked out, and Mariner State Hospital happened to be their place. Well, the hospital has been abandoned for almost 20 years. From the side of the road where I shouldered my Chevy four-door, I could see a light was on in one of the rooms on the second floor. Considering the circumstances, I decided that I should continue on foot, so as not to be too obvious. 
Like with any new job, it was always a good idea to take in the environment before making any rash decisions. Mariner State Hospital was not huge, but it sat on a very large lot with what once was a well-kept lawn surrounding it. The building must have been built in the late 1800s, but clearly electricity and other modern inconveniences were brought to Mariner as the years passed. A variety of street lights and telephone poles surrounded the grounds, and at night the place was well illuminated, certainly. But the abandonment of the building was beginning to show, and it was almost crumbling in places. Because there was a light on, because I didn't want to risk setting off any alarms if I just walked up to the place, I decided to set up a stakeout before getting any closer. For the next few hours, I managed to circle Mariner a few times on foot, but day surveillance limited how close I could actually get. I realized that Sarah had lied to me. There wasn't a building, let alone a fortune teller's house, anywhere near the hospital. The best course of action for someone wanting to gain access to Mariner was to come in at night by foot. After I finished my stakeout, I went back down Sandy and stopped in at the service station to call Sarah at the number she gave me. And predictably, she didn't answer. I tried Cindy at the office again, but everyone was giving me the brush off right now. I went shopping, picked up some supplies, and popped into my apartment so I could catch some shut-eye for that evening's activities. I fitfully laid down in my own bed until I couldn't stand it any longer. Then I stopped in at the office. But by then it was after five, and Cindy had clearly gone for the day. It was probably just as well. I packed up a flashlight and my lockpicks, plus a couple other tools of the trade, and tossed them all into a bag. Borrowing the bicycle from a neighbor, under the pretense I needed it to get more exercise, I rode up to a random greasy spoon on Sandy to grab a quick bite for dinner, and waited for the sun to go down. It didn't take long before I was standing where I had parked my car earlier that day, but under the cover of night. Not even what was left of the moon could illuminate me. The clouds did offer some guidance for those with particularly keen vision, but the overgrown yard at Mariner aided the darkness in my efforts to remain on scene. From here I ditched the bike and continued on foot. I approached the hospital. And as if it hadn't been turned off the entire time, the light on the second floor was still on. And much like what Sarah reported, I could now hear a very strange hum coming from the building. Not exactly electric or supernatural, but certainly something that did not sound like it should be coming from a supposedly abandoned building. Even worse, the hum was punctuated by something that sounded like a squeaking musical instrument of some kind. Except more like a voice. And yet... Neither of these things, either. I circled the hospital a few times, and aside from the hum and the squeaking, there was no signs of life. I went back to the side where the light was on and found a comfortable place to watch the window, and waited. But after 90 minutes, it was clear the building existed in this state, more or less, most of the time. I was about to guess that there was no one inside, and was ready to light a cigarette when a shadow moved across the window. I was almost unsure of what I saw, and a gasp was on my lips. There was what appeared to be a shadow of an ape or a monkey that moved across the window, as if it were swinging through the trees. The movement only took a few moments, but as I sat, motionless, I was transfixed by what I had seen. 
and sat in awe as I tried to process it. In a way, this helped me decide to go inside and be done with it. Whatever was there wasn't supposed to be there anyway, and I knew my way around from my last visit. Hopefully that intel would come in handy somehow. After all of that, I was surprised to find the door wasn't even locked. Hello, is anybody home? Aside from the slight echo of my own voice, I couldn't hear anything else. I decided to snoop around the first floor to see if I could find anything worth risking a trespass charge for. The receptionist's desk was more or less intact, but clearly it hadn't been used in ages, as had most of the rest of the place. And where the corners and outer areas were dusty and dilapidated, it was clear that people had been inside recently, wearing paths through the dirt and dust that had accumulated. Occasional graffiti on the walls also spoke to the recent use of the place, but most likely by teens looking for a way to pass the time, rather than evidence of something more shadow-casting and sinister going on. It's possible that some kids just left the lights on upstairs after a night of drinking and causing trouble, and some swinging light bulb casting an odd shadow is the extent of the mystery I would now solve. There was also the squeaking sound, but now that I was inside of the hospital, it was louder and seemed more like talking than I previously thought. There was some empty and unused rooms along one side of the first floor, and the rest was taken up by a large lunchroom, where empty bottles and cups and other trash only reinforced my partying teen's theory. While the squeaking was certainly unnerving, it seemed to be coming from upstairs, and I followed. But as I followed the sound through the hall, I not only heard the squeaking get louder, but the voices of two men talking, which silenced me completely. You need to stop doing that. Yeah, it's something to pass the time. Yeah, but I imagine the cost starts to add up. It's my money. I spend it how I want to. Oh, I see. What do you mean? Nah, nothing. It just must be nice to just spend your money willy-nilly. I don't spend it all on the ponies. There's greyhounds, too. <laughs> you know, you certainly complain about being broke a lot for someone who also talks about horse racing as much as you do. But these animals are the peak physical perfection. When they're in motion, it's just, it's stunning. Boring if you ask me. Give me an honest day's pay for an honest day's work over gambling any day. You haven't worked an honest day in your life. <laughs> hey, I work. I show up when I'm supposed to. I do what I'm told. Yeah, and look where it's got you. Sitting in a room, alone, making like some king in an empty castle while the others grab all the glory. <laughs> they can have their glory. You don't get shot at when you're... Now that damn squeaking sound is back. If this is a joke, I swear to you guys it's not funny. I was so invested in what the two men were saying, I didn't give myself much room for an exit strategy if I needed one. So I did my best to hide behind a filing cabinet and hope that the squeaking sound wouldn't give up my position. Hello? Who's there? This is one of those situations where you better give yourself up because you won't like what happens if I catch you on my own. It's just that damn squeak again. It's nothing. I'm not so sure, Barney. Something's going on. I could feel it. Is this like the time you thought the entire police force in the county was actually just a mouse eating a leftover sandwich out in the hall? Together there was no way I could handle them, but I decided to take a chance to attempt to disarm this gentleman snooping around in the hallway. 
In one continuous motion, I wielded the flashlight like a club and moved within striking distance. What are you? Hey, stop! With the first member of the goon squad counting sheep, I attempted to move him out of view to give myself a better place to strategically enforce nap time on goon number two. But goon number one was heavier than I thought, and when it occurred to me I didn't have time to move him, I turned to see the butt of goon two's gun connect with the center of my forehead. Who do you think you are? Marcus But before I was finished saying that, I was already being consumed by complete blackness and then silence. At first, all I could hear was the hum. Distant. Quiet. But soon it came into focus like a radio tuning, and I sat up. In front of me was a strange-looking blob-like monkey creature, as if made out of smoke and light and film, floating feet away from me from my position on the floor. It almost looked like a grandmother had set about the task of making a stuffed creature for a grandchild, but due to the combination of tight resources and the effects of aging, this was what Grandma managed to sew together from scraps of fabric and a whole lot of love. While I couldn't make out any eyes, it stared at me nonetheless. What do you mean? I was about to ask you the same thing. Marcus. Marcus Little. Wait, before you make the same dumb joke, it's just Marcus Little. I'm actually quite tall for my body type. I don't actually know what happened. I showed up to investigate this supposedly abandoned hospital, only to find that these thugs are hiding out. And apparently you live here. That information is confidential. Let's just say I'm the curious type. Even if you had access to the astral plane, I'm guessing you wouldn't be asking if you actually knew why I was here. I'm starting to get the impression that you are on my side. And it seems like you don't want these guys in your house any more than I do. So maybe we might want to work together. Why does a ghost need money? We'll talk about that once the case is solved. Let's search the room and see if they left us anything to go on. The goon squad had left me in a room they had been occupying. My new ghost companion and I poked around as they were nowhere to be seen. Inside the room was a table, a few chairs, some playing cards, a stack of eerie comics, an ashtray, and a few other odds and sods. Mostly the garbage left over from two men holding up in one place for a long period of time. Clearly they had been part of a bigger gang, as there were signs that more than two of them had been around in the last several days. I was about to give up when... What's that? Let me see. Hmm. A matchbook, huh? The Blue Parrot. It was a plain white book of matches with a black logo. But as I flipped it open, I saw a single name written inside. Looks like it's time to go see what Betty knows. It's never a good sign when you wake up and start talking to ghosts. But it's old hat when you're Marcus Little. We'll be right back with more of his adventures after this. Hey kids, your breakfast just got a whole lot more exciting. With Captain Amazing's Chocolate Powered Blasts. Now available in the candy aisle at your local grocer.
Captain Amazing spends most of his time saving the universe from the invaders from deep space, monsters from the sea, and horrible oddities that the evil Professor Zigzag has created. But he also understands that kids want something fun on the breakfast table. Instead of boring old oatmeal, they want chocolate-powered blasts, the cereal that guarantees more fun in every bite. Act now, because each bag of Captain Amazing's chocolate-powered blasts contains a chocolate-powered prize pack, so you can keep your neighborhood safe. Collect all four toys and help Captain Amazing beat Professor Zigzag and save the universe by eating Captain Amazing's chocolate-powered blasts today. Don't wait. Act now. Supplies are limited. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy eating Captain Amazing's chocolate-powered blasts for breakfast or any time of day. Once again, kids, that's Captain Amazing's chocolate-powered blasts, where you can feel the nutrition hit you like a blast. If you're looking for a way to handle that big appetite on a Sunday afternoon without breaking the bank, then you'll want to meet us at Parson Sanders Cafe for a Sunday school lesson your whole family will look forward to. Using recipes that only the good Lord saw fit to bless, I've been wowing parishioners for years at every church function, so much so that I decided to bring these divine confections to the secular world. Join us for a meal that will make you feel like you're one of God's own flock. And enjoy fried chicken and waffles like you've never had before. That's Parson Sanders Cafe, where your hunger will be saved or your money back. Open Sunday through Thursday, try our King Solomon brunch with enough to share with a friend. Parson Sanders Cafe. Redemption is free. Coffee, 15 cents. The Adventures of Marcus Little features Nate Kelly as Marcus Little and Jessica Norman as Cindy Baumgarten. Featured in the cast were Jill Honstein as Candy Matson, Heather Sadowski as Johnny Thunder, Sean Royal as Mort Linger, Jeff Parks as Itty, Dash Thompson as Barney, Travis Doan as Fred and Ape, Tim Maloney as Parson Sanders, Don and Horace Withers, Emma Pace Jonas as Betty, David the Weatherman Wills as Merlin, and David Little Fyodor Lichtenberg as Greg. Also featured were Jason Ramey, Kelly Taylor, Jessica Ramey, Jesse Sutherland, Bella Ramey, Austin Rich, Stella Star Schaefer, and William R. Harris. Our music was by Brendan Murray and Matt Orifice, and our script was by A.C. Richards. Your announcer was Fred Weiser. The Adventures of Marcus Little can be heard every week here on ABS, the American Broadcasting System. ABS, it's what's on. This is ABS, the American Broadcasting System. (laughs) Yay. The Adventures of Marcus Little, Part 2 of 6. Tune in for the next four weeks to get the full story. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between, a radio zine. The Adventures of Marcus Little, Part 2. Issue 49. Written and assembled by Austin Rich. Happy birthday, Adam Driver. You've been in a number of excellent films I enjoyed, and I'm only minutely horrified to discover that you are nearly a decade younger than me, 
and you act more grown up and adult than I ever have. How in the world do you do it? I am truly baffled. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story, music, or poetry that you'd like to send in or read, or you just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you... There would be no program. Be seeing you. Somewhere in between? A radio zine?